Hello, this is the technical engineer for the History Goes Bump podcast. I know, I sound like Diane, but I'm not. Okay, so I am Diane. Anyway, what I wanted to do is forewarn you and also to apologize. When we were recording today's show, when I hit the buttons on the recorder, I inadvertently pushed the manual rather than the auto for the volume. So parts of this podcast are a bit overdriven. So I apologize to your ears now and that some parts are a little difficult to hear on mine and Denise's end. On Stephen's end of things, things are great. Thanks for tuning in. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 60-second episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on this episode, we have a special co-host joining us again. We love doing this, Denise. Yes, we do. We're going to go to the state of North Carolina, and we have a listener to the show and a resident of North Carolina joining us, Stephen Pappas. How are you, Stephen? I'm great. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm doing pretty good. How's the weather up there in North Carolina? It's hot. <laughs> I, I guess I shouldn't say that to Floridians, though. <laughs> we'll probably be up there going, but it's freezing. We need a sweater. <laughs> You know what I think we've done is we've pushed the hot air up to you guys because we've been really rainy and it's been, especially today, it's been cloudy. It's like Seattle down here today. So maybe we push the heat up to you. Thanks for taking it. Well, no thanks for giving it to us. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, Stephen, I thought we'd start off with you sharing a little bit about yourself with the rest of the listeners out there. Um, did, were you born in North Carolina, or is this somewhere you moved to? I grew up here. I was born in Orlando, Florida, actually, oh. and um, so probably not too far from y'all, and uh, moved here when I was like a year old, though, so I guess it basically doesn't count. So yeah, I just kind of grew up in different areas of the state. Very cool. Well, we've never been to North. I've driven through North Carolina kind of on the edge, but I've never actually stayed there. We're really looking forward to our future trip up there. I hear you guys have some beautiful beaches. We do. We have some beautiful mountains, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, and mountains, too. And gem oh, lands. Yeah. Oh, and gems. That's all Denise cares about. Things that are sparkly. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, since you listen to the show and you know a little bit about the hauntings when it comes to our topic today, which is the Moses Cone Manor, you have a bit of an affinity for the paranormal. Is that true? I do. And what got you interested in ghosts and things that we can't explain? It's actually a really strange story. When I was probably eight or nine years old, I grew up, you know, not believing in ghosts, not thinking any of that stuff was realistic in the least bit. And uh, when I was probably about eight or nine, my great grandmother, she was getting ready to pass away. And my mother brought me into the room uh, to kind of, you know, say my piece to her. And uh, she pointed at me. And she said, who's that boy? You know, my mom kind of said, you know, Grandma, it's, it's Stephen. You know, you, you know Stephen. And she said, no, I know Stephen. Who's that little boy behind him? <laughs> and there was no little boy behind me. <laughs> and so I quickly ran out of the room. And <laughs> after that, I just kind of had this interest in, well, maybe there's something out there that I can't explain. And so ever since then, I've watched all the TV shows, I've read all the articles, did what I can to learn. And we never get the answers, do we? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you. So was this, was it at your grandmother's house that you were at? Uh, it was at my, my great-grandmother was the one who had uh, gotten ill, I was, okay. and she was moved into my grandmother's house. And so uh, I was at their house then. So I'm wondering, was there a little boy who had passed away at that house at some point? I don't know. I hope not, because I still sleep there when I go visit. Uh, <laughs> so did anything strange ever happen when you were there? Uh, not really. I mean, at night, uh, sometimes just because of that experience, I still get a, uh, I still get a strange inkling. 
a little uneasy feeling sometimes just because I remember. But aside from that, not too much, uh, not too much has happened there. Now, has anybody else ever mentioned seeing a child around you that you can't see? No, but oddly enough, uh, the woman who saw the child for me, my great grandmother, her husband passed when my mother was a child. And um, the same thing happened with her uh, when she was in the room saying her goodbyes. He saw a little girl behind her. And so now was, that's really yours odd. was a little boy, right? And then your mom Mine was, was a little boy. Yes. And your mom's was a little girl. Yes. Huh. And so uh, it sounds cheesy and romantic comedy of a strange supernatural type, but they met when they were children and were wondering if they were seeing each other oh. in some way. Yeah, huh. So Interesting theory, because I was wondering if maybe it was something that was, I hate to say it out loud, attached to you. <laughs> but I hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> Obviously, if you haven't been having a lot of, uh, you know, seeing little boys that you don't know and nobody else sees running around you, you probably don't. Right. No, no, hopefully not. You know, knock on wood. But Now, have you had any haunting experiences where you live right now? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, thankfully, to be honest, I'm a... Uh, I'm a little bit like Denise, I believe it, but I don't go seeking it out, so... You don't tempt the spirits? Yay! <laughs> um, no, no. Well, okay. Sometimes. <laughs> Depends on my mood. <laughs> you probably tempt them to the same extreme that we do. I mean, I did sit down in a chair that might make a ghost a little bit upset, but that's about as close as I was going to get to that. Sure. All right. Well, you had sent an email to us suggesting a couple of places in North Carolina for us to check out, and the one that really grabbed my attention was the this Moses Cone Manor, and I have to tell you, it was because I saw a picture of it. What a beautiful home. It's gorgeous. Absolutely. They use it for a lot of filming locations. It's just a beautiful place. I, I can imagine. Movies. Yeah. Did, did you, do you know which movie? The Green Mile. Yes. I love that movie. I'm going to have to watch that again so that I can see where it is in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. The warden of the prison, I think, when they go to visit his ill wife, uh-huh. um, it's their home. Okay, sure. Wow. Boy, the warden makes a lot of money. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a little ramshackle place. This is a huge, it's a mansion. Definitely it's a manor. It's, it's, it's large, and when you actually get there and you stand, it's, uh, it's a little overwhelming. I can imagine. Well, what we thought we'd do is share with everybody a little bit about the history of this home and the man who had it built, and then we'll get into talking about the hauntings that go on with it. Stephen has some personal experiences with that and knows a lot of the stories behind that, so this should be very interesting. And before we talk about the Moses Cone Manor, we do want to point you in the direction of our website, historyghostbump.com. It's where you can find everything you'd want to find out about the show, where you can find our archives, sign up for the newsletter, donate to the show, and also our Emporium is up there. We do get a little kickback from that. And Denise, as a matter of fact, we had a couple t-shirts that got sold while we were on our vacation in Boston. Oh, that is very cool. You know who I think those went to? Maybe the lady who really liked the shirts. I'm wondering, the one who did the tour with us and was complimenting the shirts and wanted to know where to get them, so... That would be very cool. Hopefully she enjoyed those. And our shop did change up a little bit. Spreadshirt changed some of their programming, I guess. So the shop will look a little bit different if you've been there before. So we encourage you guys to check that out if you are so inclined. Denise, if somebody wants to get us some feedback about the show, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And, of course, we would appreciate your reviews over at iTunes and at Stitcher. It helps to get some visibility on the show. And we did get a couple more reviews, Denise. Do we know somebody by the name of Freya? I believe that sounds really familiar. Where in the heck did we hear that name before? It sounds so familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, Freya heated our call when we were talking about, hey, you people in Australia, we'll see your reviews if you put them up there. So we did get a five-star review from Freya. Perfect mix of history and hauntings. I'm always looking for interesting history podcasts to entertain myself at work, and this is always one I look forward to listening to. Diane and Denise are lovely to have in your ears and handle the podcast in a professional yet lighthearted manner. Absolutely no hesitation in giving it five stars and recommending it to everybody I know. So thank you so much, Freya, for giving us that review. Well, they say that you haven't arrived until you've received something other than a five-star review. We have gotten a three-star review. And this comes from, I believe it's Tamara Cyan, and it's Thumbs Down Denise. I was very excited to have found this podcast, The Hauntings, The Travels, fantastic, I thought, until I heard the voice of the co-host Denise, who sounds just beyond annoying. And to my horror, 
She read the entire Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven on podcast in a pretty reading the shopping list kind of way. I might cherry pick one or two more episodes of locations I'm really interested in, but that's pretty much it. Well, Tamara, I'm doing this without Denise here because I don't want her to hear that. The Edgar Allan Poe show was number three. Denise has never done podcasting before. So that was the third show she's ever done. And she sure the heck was not into reading The Raven. But I made her do it. And I think the audience would agree that she's really grown as the podcast has grown. I hope you do give us another chance and listen to further shows. The most important part is content. And I think we give great content. And I love having Denise as my co-host. I think our banter is entertaining and brings more people into the show. So I'm sorry that Denise's voice is so grating that you just can't get past it. A lot of people say the same thing about stuff you missed in history class. They say the girls both sound nasally. They can't stand their voices. And at first, I have to say, I was a little put off by the voices. But then I listened to the content, and content is king. I also want to point you guys in the direction of another podcast that I found out there. If you're into racing, particularly NASCAR, there's this wonderful show that's hosted by all women. All women talking about NASCAR. Is that not unique? And they're very knowledgeable and entertaining as well. So check out Happy Hour Garage. I think that tells you all you need to know about the show there. And you can check out their website at NASCARHappyHour.com. As everybody knows, I'm mostly into the ghosties and scary stories, but these ladies make racing entertaining enough that I've been listening to the show. Not to mention, it has me wondering, do you think there's any haunted racetracks out there? Hmm... And Denise, over at the Spooktacular crew, we had a young lady join us named Savannah, and she had posted a little blip about, here's 15 things about me for everybody to find out. And it inspired me. So on the Spooktacular crew, I've put up 20 questions for people to answer so we can all get to know each other. So if you are a member of the Spooktacular crew, please do so. If you feel comfortable in answering those questions, I have pinned that post up to the top. And if you're not a member of the Spooktacular crew, why not? It's absolutely free. You could join us over on Facebook and we'd love to find out who you are. Absolutely. And I need to go on and do mine. But I know that Diane answered the questions for herself. And we also had one other spectacular crew member go in and answer and it's really fun just to read what they put so i do encourage you all to do it i will be doing it as well and denise we had a couple of other things we are number 65 in the history genre section of itunes right now very cool that is cool and that's all because of our listeners thanks so much for listening and for sharing the show and also i'm sitting here looking at denise and she doesn't look orange she is not turned into a pumpkin Thank God. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about because you aren't on Facebook, I had noticed a couple days ago that we were 10 likes away from 200 likes on our History Ghost Bump fan page. So I thought, you know what? We could do this in a day and a half. So I said, hey, if we can get up to 200 likes, 10 more likes before midnight, and it was going to be the next day, then Denise won't turn into a pumpkin. If we didn't get the likes, then Denise was going to turn into a pumpkin. Yeah, I like how it's me gets to turn into a pumpkin, but Diane just gets to stay like normal. Or maybe she was afraid the listeners wouldn't like because they wanted her to be a pumpkin. Well, and Tanya, (laughs) our buddy Tanya, (laughs) Tanya said that she thought that she would make an adorable pumpkin. And you were like, well, I don't really wear orange, da, 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 da. And then I had to remind you that what color is the costume that you wear for Disney? Red. That is not red. It is red. Are you colorblind? No, but you must be. I will hold it up to Tigger and you will see the difference. Tigger is orange. My costume is red. It is a, it's, it's red orange if it's red. Well, it probably is a red orange, but it's mostly red. I think it's mostly orange. I think you're the colorblind one. Just saying. (laughs) Anyway. If it were orange, I would look like I was jaundiced and I do not look jaundiced in my costume. Anyway, at the time of this recording, I woke up this morning and Denise, we had 202 likes. So not only did we get the 200, we got two above it, and people have gone above and beyond. And I think the last time I checked, we're at 206, 208 likes. I can't remember now, but fabulous. Thank you to our listeners. And Denise is very appreciative. Yes, because I did not want to be a pumpkin. So thank you very much. And next time, it's going to be Diane who has to change. (laughs) 
would like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump. Or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation. Click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com. Is it possible for a river to be underwater? We don't mean a river of water, but a river underwater. In October of 2014, photographer Anatoly Belishin decided to do some diving photography in the Yucatan of Mexico. He went diving in a swimming hole named Angelita. When he had reached 100 feet below the surface, he discovered something shocking. There was another habitat beneath the swimming hole containing a river. Pictures clearly show a distinct river, and one would not realize that it was underwater if not for the fact that a diver is in the picture with bubbles flowing from his tanks. It just looks like a river being photographed at night. Such a strange phenomenon is known as a keynote and results from the collapse of a sinkhole. This collapse exposes groundwater underneath, and the sinkhole fills with fresh rainwater. Vast underwater caves result. Because of the difference in fresh water from rain and salt water from the groundwater, the two water formations appear separate. The only evidence of waters being together is the point where they converge or mix. This mixture causes a milky effect called halocline. It is a beautiful sight to behold, but also quite odd. On this day, August 17th in 1859, the first airmail made its way across America. Now, most people might be scratching their heads because the Wright brothers didn't get a plane off the ground until 1903. So how did airmail start in America in 1859? It traveled by balloon, of course. August 17th was a very hot day as John Wise boarded his balloon named Jupiter. The postmaster had given him a bag full of 123 letters that needed to be delivered to New York City. The balloon Jupiter launched from Lafayette, Indiana. This big moment in history would not end in complete success. The weather turned nasty and Wise found it hard to navigate against the wind. He finally gave up and landed in Crawfordville, Indiana. The mail was put on a train to complete its delivery, but in the end, it did travel partway via air for the first time in America. History Goes Bump Podcast. Moses Cone Manor is also known as Flat Top Manor and is located in the Blue Ridge National Heritage Area in North Carolina. It is a beautiful mansion built by Moses Cone at the turn of last century. Cone loved the home and some wonder if he perhaps is still there in the afterlife. The tales that surround the manor include moving furniture, ominous noises, strange happenings, and even grave robbing. So what part of um, North Carolina is this? Uh, this is the mountain region. It's, um, it's not too far from the Tennessee border. It's okay. just kind of northeast or northwestern. Ooh. Which is beautiful up there. Oh, I'm sure it is. Because I, I was like, Blue Ridge National Heritage, I've never heard of that. So I was like, I'm not sure. Is that on the east, west? Probably near like the Blue Ridge west. Mountains. Yeah, it cuts through the mountains. And it is, it's gorgeous. It's uh, part of the Blue Ridge Parkway, which runs, good Lord, through a few states. And um, people come up from all over the really southern part of the southeast, you know, Florida, Louisiana. Uh, just to see the leaves in the fall. I mean, it gets to be a really pretty place. Oh, we'll have to do that because we do have some trees that turn down here in Florida, but not very many. So we do miss miss the turning of the leaves. 
sure. And a lot of the trees around where we visit a lot, they just put them together. They <laughs> have different things on them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, does anybody know why they call, why are the mountains Blue Ridge? Are, do they have a bluish tinge to them? They do. Um, okay. From a distance, if you're standing and looking at the range, it's it's kind of misty. It's not quite like the Smoky Mountains, but it's misty, and they kind of have this bluish tint to them. Oh, very nice. Yeah, Denise got kind of smart with me and said, uh, well, the Blue Ridge National Heritage Area is probably in the Blue Ridge Mountains. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> so the, the reason why, first of all, it's called Flat Top Manor, most people would know it that way, but it's also called the Moses Cone Manor because it's named after the man who built it. And I don't know how much you know about him, Stephen. Did you want to share a little bit about whatever you guys talk about there in your community about him? Well, what we talk about in the community is really more to creep people out. Um, <laughs> he actually was a really great guy. Uh, to go on record, he was a really good guy. He was a textile entrepreneur in the Piedmont area of the state, which is kind of the land right between the mountains and the beach just the okay. middle of the state. Textiles were huge there, and he kind of got into that and made a bunch of money and decided to build himself a home up there. He was a big philanthropist, uh, gave a lot of money to different things in the state. There's actually a Moses Cone Hospital in Greensboro, North Carolina, that he fully funded and actually left the manor to until uh, the National Park Service took over it. So the hospital basically gave it over to the National Park Service then? Right. Well, that's nice. They're taking good care of it, at least. And I, I believe they do offer tours there. They do. No ghost tours, unfortunately. Of but course. they offer tours of the home. Very cool. Moses Cone was born on June 29th, 1857, in Jonesboro, Tennessee. So this was close to the border there, which makes sense since you mentioned, Stephen, that this area is near Tennessee. He was born into a Jewish-German family who, both of his parents were from Germany, but they met when they were here in America, and they got married here in America. He was the oldest of your lucky number, Denise? Thirteen children. That's a lot of kids. Good Lord. How many kids do you have, Stephen? None. <laughs> <laughs> and not for a long time. We just, I'm 26 years old. We just got married. So. <laughs> Amen after Diane's own heart. Yeah, I, I kept that none for good. Hey, well, kids are scary. I let her have a, a son for a little while, but everybody told me, why in the heck did you start her out with a 14-year-old boy? <laughs> yeah, we did the foster parent thing for a year, and uh, yeah, 13 was not a good age to start with. I believe it. Cone's father became a very successful grocer. He moved his family to Baltimore, where success in the grocery business expanded for them. Moses and his brother Caesar, those are very, isn't that a fabulous name? Uh, I'm not sure if those are biblical names, if that's where they got them from. It is the Bible Belt. <laughs> but he and his brother were very close, and they both became traveling salesmen for the family business. Moses learned business from his father, and he himself became a very successful entrepreneur. And as Stephen mentioned, he got involved in the textiles. Uh, he met a gal named Bertha in 1884, and four years later, they were married. Moses convinced his brother Caesar to join him in investing in some southern textile mills. And in those mills, they specialized in something that makes a lot of sense since he was a philanthropist. He was really into the blue collar workers. So what kind of textile do you think he was into, Denise? Denim, of course. <laughs> yes, of course, denim. And by the late 19th century, Moses became known as the Denim King. He opened a firm in Greensboro, North Carolina, and he started a business relationship with what business would really be into denim as a textile? Levi Strauss. Indeed, the Levi Strauss Company, and they actually continued to have a business relationship to this day. Life was very good for Moses, but he didn't live very long. Stephen, do you know when he died? I think he was 51 or 2. Yeah, he didn't live a very long life, did he? No, he didn't. He, uh, he fell ill. At least I think so. Yeah, well, <laughs> You never know. There's so many stories up there to try to 
mesh around these legends. Oh, of course. I mean, if you want to creep people out, well, a pulmonary edema isn't very creepy. No, it doesn't. <laughs> he died in 1908, so and he was 51 years old when he passed away. When they began construction on what was known as Flat Top Manor, it was about seven years before he died. So Moses did start buying land in Blowing Rock, North Carolina, the 1890s. Part of that land included Flat Top Mountain, and that, of course, is where he built the mansion that we're talking about near the mountain. And and also why it took that name of Flat Top. The house was built in the colonial revivalist style and cost $25,000 to build. <laughs> Can you imagine this thing is huge, $25,000. We're lucky to buy a car for less than $25,000 anymore. <laughs> but And we do have um, pictures of it, but the front had large white columns and leaded glass was used for all of the windows. They had gas lighting and central heating, which were amenities that the home contained, along with the telephone. The house had 23 rooms and spread out over 13,000 square feet. So I think what they're doing is including, because it's two stories, and there's an attic above that as well. So I think when they're saying 13,000, square feet. They're including all of the living area in the house. And the really neat thing is horse-drawn wagons had to bring it all in in all of those building supplies along with all the furniture. Can you imagine how long that would take? But they were out in the middle of nowhere, so I don't know how else she could have done it. Oh, yeah. There's no cars. Well, I'm always amazed at that. Even when we were in Chattanooga, remember when they were having the flooding? So they mm-hmm. used horse-drawn carriages and men to take all the land down to, like, That's right. to fill all of that in, too. So yeah. they were hard workers back then. They were. They got a lot of stuff done. He had an interesting thing on the property as well, in one of those buildings. Oh, you mean the bowling alley? Well, yeah, that's kind of unusual for back then, don't you think? I, I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Was it unusual or did big people have big bowling alleys? Well, it was, it was its own building. That's it. It was just a one lane bowling alley. Oh, so he started that whole thing and trend as well? Yeah, but you know what was fun about it is if anybody wanted to use it, it was one of those, you got to go set the pins up yourself. So you'd throw the ball down there, and then you'd have to go down, set the pins up, come back to throw the ball back down there again. So it wasn't real technologically advanced. Did Moses and his wife have any children? No, they didn't have any children. Uh, I'm yeah, not sure no why, clue. but they did not have any children. There was also a washing house and employee housing. So he must have had some people who lived on the property with them. Here's something that's a little strange, and I'm sure Stephen knows a little something about this, but... Moses had wanted to be buried on the property when he died. And as a matter of fact, he had picked it long before he had passed away. And he told his wife, Bertha, where he wanted to be buried. So she buried him there when he had died, which is just a little bit weird or unusual. It's a little strange. But well, well, that's what we've always talked about. Because sometimes when we walk through cemeteries, you will see gravestones that will say like the person's name and the year they were born in a dash and then nothing because they haven't died yet. It might be just really weird to go see your beloved spouse and then right next to it is your name, but you're still here. I, I, that yeah. would be a little weird. Yeah. Ooh, but yeah. they do it all the time. We see it in graveyards constantly. Now, Moses didn't stay in his grave. Is that right? <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> what happened to him? He he got dug up by grave robbers. Yeah, there was there was just this kind of legend going around when he got buried because he was so wealthy that he had been buried with jewels and all this really valuable jewelry had been buried with him. And um, so a few guys decided they were going to go and get the jewelry. And uh, they dug him up and there was no jewelry. And so the story goes that uh, his wife actually found him. She had gone up to visit the grave, and they were so frustrated that there had been no jewelry that they propped him up against his own headstone and left him there. Mm. Can you imagine his poor wife finding him like that? I mean, we don't know how long had he been buried for, so what condition was the body in, and then she finds it in that way. That's what I was wondering, you know. It's going to be a little bit like... The visions from the living dead people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, make sure that he's like not still breathing and isn't saying something like brains, brains. <laughs> you know what doesn't make any sense to me? The wife is still alive. What in the world would make these grave robbers think that she's going to bury him with basically a buried treasure? <laughs> I mean, how much? Wouldn't she want to have the jewelry for herself? Yes. And I don't know Wouldn't too many... they just want to break into the house? 
Well, you know what? What a great point, Stephen. I mean, if you're going to bust into something, why would you dig up a dead body and hope to find something in there? I guess it's easier than getting caught stealing inside of a house, but... I guess so. His sister-in-law was like a really big art collector, though, so I can't imagine that the stuff in the house wasn't worth a lot of money. Well, sure, and I'm, you know, they probably had a safe with cash in it, and, you know, I don't know how his wife, if she had somebody who lived at the house with her for protection... That'd be, you know what, that would scare me even more than seeing my dead husband propped up against the gravestone as these people were near my house. Yeah. And what's really unique is when you think of grave robbers, you know, I'm thinking over in London when they're digging up bodies, you know, to sell them for medicine and science and everything. You don't really think of grave robbing here in America. No, not really. I, I don't think you hear of it very often. Um, wait a minute. In St. Augustine, that's why they think that one guy haunts the graveyard there, though. So they think they, they used to, um, oh, that's true. they used to go in and steal gold teeth all that's the time. That's true. They did. They did like to take people's gold teeth. Guess it'd be worth it to them. Now, there is a little bit of discrepancy when it comes to was he actually put back into his grave or did they bury him somewhere else? And I've heard both. So have I. The, they kind of say that. A lot of people want to believe that he's not in his grave and that they moved him to just a different area of that same patch of land. Yeah, well, that would make sense because if there's a disturbed body, disturbed grave, that usually causes some of our hauntings that we are so fond of researching. Indeed. I wouldn't be very happy if I was in my final resting place and somebody pulled me up and then propped me up left my wife to have to find me that way. So, yeah, it, I don't, it, we've talked about this on other podcasts. I don't understand why disturbing remains causes somebody to get upset because you think if you're dead, you really don't care. But it does seem to do something that stirs up the spirits a bit. Good thing I'll be surfing the waves. Now, in this uh, Moses Cone Center, they now have not only the National Park Service owns it, but it also is what they call a craft center. So I guess they do pottery and stuff in there or something. Right. Yeah, they have a lot of uh, local artists bring their art in, and um, they let them sell it there, and they give a cut to the National Park Service, I think, to try to basically just pay their rent for that space, but it helps to keep the place up and make sure that they're able to keep it historically accurate and looking nice. Okay, and Stephen, along with the artists that go there, it seems to be rumored that sometimes college students go up there. Do you have anything to share about that? We we do. Uh, we definitely do. I uh, I was one of them many years in a row. Um, I went to school at Appalachian State University, which is um, in Boone, North Carolina. It's about 10 minutes down the road, and uh, we used to go up to the parkway just because it was so pretty, but we like to get the freshmen and go up there at night and uh, go to Moses Cone. You know, anybody listening didn't hear that because it is trespassing on uh, state park property. So. Yeah, you wouldn't have done that. No, you didn't do that ever. You were just no, like, using never. we as a identifier, like we as in college students, but not as something you would do. Exactly. <laughs> just college students as a whole seem to do that. Yes. Um. <laughs> You've heard <But> rumors. <laughs> I have. Uh, but we'd go up there and we'd just kind of tell stories. We made up half the stuff we said. I mean, <laughs> we didn't know a lot of the true history. There was, we'd make up stories about somebody got murdered in the room upstairs and it was a mistress of so-and-so-and-so and we were probably ruining the names of perfectly nice people uh, <laughs> who never cheated in their life. But <laughs> Starting we just kind of creep them out and tell them that and Starting urban legends, are you? Look in the window. So, first of all, we have to ask, you were a freshman at one time, so were you taken up there as a freshman and initiated, or were you just the initiator in the future? Oh, no, we came up with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's your yeah. evil mind that devised this. Exactly. We're, we're masterminds. Um, <laughs> we, we had gone up there a few times at night just to kind of walk around the property. We hadn't even thought about, you know, the creepiness of it. And um, we went up there and there was one day we were up there, we were looking around the porch. I remember that. And um, there was this pair of shoes on the porch, but it definitely wasn't a pair of shoes that would be worn any time in the last, I don't know, century. Huh. And so it was kind of weird because I'm like, why would these old shoes be out here? I guess it's just a historical prop that they use, but that kind of sparked it, and we were going, wait a second, we could use this. (laughs) 
we could we could scare some people and uh more often than not we ended up scaring ourselves <laughs> but we'd go up there and we'd tell the stories and i remember one time we were up there on a trip with this new group of freshmen and we were acting all fearless and we were telling them these fake stories that really had no factual basis at all and uh we uh we got to the end of one story and all the lights in the entire property just boom went dark Mm. And I think I was in the lead of that pack of people that was just running away to the cars. Uh, was there something? Me to death. Turns was out it... the lights were on a timer. Oh, I, oh man! I was like, please don't tell me it was on a timer. It was. It was. So their fearless leader uh, fearlessly led the way back to the car. Well, as long as you didn't have something warm running down your leg, I guess you were okay. Not that they knew of. So. <laughs> Oh, man. So did you guys ever see, because there's reports that occasionally when people go up there, they'll see the curtains moving when there's nobody in the house. Did you guys ever see anything moving in the windows at all? I have before, but I'm kind of a person who, uh, you know, I don't chalk everything up to a supernatural mm-hmm. or paranormal experience. I probably figure it's the air conditioning unit or sure. something just happened to hit the curtain. I usually would need something that is not explainable uh, for me to believe it. But I've seen them move, so I can understand uh, how some people would think that. Did you ever hear the stories of the portraits? Uh, no. Okay, well, this one's fun. Inside the home, there are separate portraits of Bertha and Moses, and for years they had hung across from each other, but um, someone moved the portraits to a different spot one day, and then the next morning, the portraits were found on the floor leaning against each other. Oh, weird. Yeah, so apparently some interior decorator came in and thought, no, let's not have these portraits here. And they weren't moved so that they were across from each other again. Because you could explain, you know, they both fall on the floor and then happen to be leaning against each other. Maybe that could happen on its own, but they weren't in a position where they could be leaning against each other when they fell down. Very weird. Now, of course, if you've moved a picture and you've just put it up, and maybe they didn't get the nails in good enough on both of them, and maybe they slid towards each other, I don't know. on the floor and then slid and then bounced a couple times and then popped themselves (laughs) up. You know, it could happen. It could. Sure. As uh, open-minded skeptics, we look at everything. Now, if I'd been standing there and actually saw them both pick themselves up off the nails on the wall and then plop down on the ground and prop against each other, I probably would definitely believe it without a doubt. But even then, I'd still be like, is there a magnet or something? (laughs) (laughs) Now, have you heard any stories about the apparition of Moses himself paying visits to people? I have. Uh, All right. I have friends that claim to have seen him. It's kind of a local thing to do now and like i said i don't i don't like to tempt the spirits so i don't go up and do it but um people started going up there without flashlights to avoid getting spotted by the rangers because there's um there's a groundskeeper and a ranger who lives there on property it's about a mile hike up to uh moses cone's grave and so i've had friends that have told me stories of you know they've gone up and uh did the quote-unquote ghost hike and went up to the graves and stayed at the graves for a few minutes and as they were there they saw a man in a late 19th century type of garb who kind of waved them on down the mountain they followed him down he didn't say a word they didn't say a word because this is kind of what they had been told would happen they got back down to the bottom near the cars and uh, the parking lot's right up against the manor basically kind of behind it in the trees and so they got down kind of right next to the manor and he kind of gave them a wave bid them farewell and walked back toward the stable and went right through the wall of the stable and that was that. Um, so they knew when they saw him waving them to come over that they were looking at a ghost. Right. And <laughs> I would have just stayed where I was. But. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're telling me to come closer, oh no. Ghost or man who would follow in dark yeah, without true. flashlights, anybody waving you somewhere. I'd be like, uh... Heck no. Even oh, with yeah. the fact and that you're... These were all people who didn't know each other, and uh, they all claim to have the same experience. And a lot of people, I'm sure, say it, and I don't believe that everybody's seen it, but uh, at least one person that told me they saw it, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are not lying. So basically what you're telling us, Stephen, is that people on different occasions have had this happen to them. Right. It's kind of a, uh, a thing that I know of at least two people that I personally know that have seen it, but... 
I've heard stories of a few other people that this has happened. And is it always the same? He waves them towards him, they follow him down towards the house, and then he disappears into the stable? Yeah, it sounds about right. Just about every time, that's kind of what they say. So, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a little weird. That well, is that's hard. residual. Yeah, that's hard to peg whether it's intelligent or residual, because the waving would make you think... Okay, well, this is something that's intelligent. It's interacting with us, but following the same path makes you think residual and that he doesn't speak to them. Right. And it's, I don't know, there's some, there's some crazy, creepy stuff that goes on there and Moses Cone's just the tip of the iceberg. Here's a question about that. Have any of them seen pictures of Moses Cone? Uh, not prior to it because there's not many pictures of, uh, Moses Cone, at least in the history books and on the walls uh, when he was older. And from what it sounds like, this is a middle-aged kind of apparition. And most of the pictures you see, he's probably in his 20s or 30s. Okay, so that they're seeing somebody who's older than pictures that they've probably seen then. But right. he did die probably double the ages that Stephen just said because he died at 51. Exactly. I was just wondering if when they saw him, they said, that's the guy. And that it's oh. not some other spirit or something else on the property. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I know at least, like I said, the one person that I 100% believe, because uh, she's a skeptic as well, she doesn't go back. <laughs> so she hasn't <laughs> gone in the manor to see any portraits or anything. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know if that for sure is Moses Cone, because, you know, there was employee housing there. So he definitely had employees on the property. So it makes you wonder if anyone else passed away on the property. Now, his wife did die, and as far as I know, she's buried next to him if he's still there on the property. And I didn't see anything that said anything about her haunting it unless she's moving furniture around. Have you heard any stories about furniture being moved around? There was a gentleman. They used to rent out the rooms upstairs for people to have overnight stays. And uh, they have since stopped that, and upstairs is storage, and now upstairs is empty. Nobody uses it because... Too much weird stuff was going on. The only furniture, I've heard stories of people saying they've heard furniture moving around, but the only one I know that was an actual account was there's a gentleman staying in one of the rooms upstairs. The door kept opening. The door to the room swung open, so he got up and closed it. I don't know if he thought it was a draft or the house was uneven or any of that, but he closed it, got back in bed. The door swung open again, and so he got out of bed and put a chair against the door to prop it open and went to sleep. And when he woke up, the door was wide open and the chair was in the corner on the other side side of the room (laughs) no 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 (laughs) and i think he got out of there pretty fast (laughs) oh yeah yeah i definitely would have gotten out of there pretty fast myself that would be totally creepy Uh, you know the interesting thing is you said that they use the second floor for storage now is there any do you and i don't know if you know is there any furniture that's up there now i don't know that there's any furniture i think it's just craft storage okay probably at the time when they were allowing people to stay there then i have another story here that apparently people would stay overnight on the first floor too if the roads were really bad because you guys get snow there we don't oh goodness we get lots of snow (laughs) and so if the roads are really bad some of the crafters would just stay there which makes sense because i don't know what the roads are like up there but they're probably not as well maintained as if you're on a you know an interstate or something and there have been times that the people who would be staying overnight would hear furniture moving around upstairs as if somebody was pushing the chairs around maybe into a corner or whatnot (laughs) and they would go up to see what was going on and they wouldn't find anybody up there and then they go back downstairs and they'd hear the furniture moving around again. So I don't know if it's Bertha's not happy with where they put stuff and she was rearranging it again or what what you had going on there. Must be very into the feng shui movement. <laughs> Bertha does feng shui in the afterlife. <laughs> and then there was another woman who had an experience when after she'd taken first of all if i'd heard stories that a place is haunted i'm not taking a shower in the place no because then you get into psycho it's like (laughs) haunting to every scary movie you ever seen showers are never a good thing (laughs) well denise why don't you share what happened to this woman so there was a woman who was staying at the manor and she took a hot shower and when she got out she found a handprint on the steam that was covering the mirror oh no nope. nope. I would have gotten out of there so fast <laughs> my first thought would be because anytime I hear these stories I immediately would think somebody's broken into wherever I'm at that would be my first no thought yeah I wouldn't yeah. think paranormal I would think like where's my gun 
Did you guys, do you know about the little girl? You, you know what? Now you're freaking me out because I was just about to ask if you've heard the stories about the little girl. Yeah, uh, which is weird. I don't know if a little girl was killed on the property. I, I don't know. You guys maybe were able to find a historical record, but I, I couldn't find anything. But I know uh, at least one account of a ranger who saw the little girl. Apparently she was standing behind him. So I don't know if he was like locking up and then turned around and she was just there all of a sudden. It's, um, they had just installed, this was back, uh, God, I think in the nineties. Okay. Uh, they had just installed their alarm system. And so there's a little shack for the housekeeper on the property and they had a ranger staying there at the time, uh, which they do periodically. And, uh, the alarm system went off and, and so he went up to the house, as is his duty. He walked around the house, walked around the whole house, didn't see anything. He went to leave. According to the account, when he went to kind of lock the handle on the door, he looked in the glass of the window and saw a little girl standing behind him. And so he turned around to investigate, and um, there's a little girl, maybe in a white dress, uh, standing at the base of the stairs. And she took off running up the stairs, and he chased her up the stairs, and she slammed the door to one of the bedrooms. The door wouldn't budge, and when he got it open, there was nobody there. That is just weird. Yeah. <laughs> but I do want to point out, she was wearing white, so we have a oh, we, girl in white. Yeah, I was going to say, this isn't a lady in white, this is a girl in white. You know, we didn't find any record. Obviously, they didn't have any children. Now, they would have had, I'm sure, nieces and nephews with him having 13, well, it would be 12 siblings. I didn't find any records for a child dying on the property, so I have no idea where she would have come from. But apparently, my assumption would be if she runs into the house and is slamming doors, first of all, that's a hell of an apparition because it's able to close doors rather than just going through them. Right. She felt like she belonged in the house, I would think, since she's going into it. So it would seem to me it's somebody who's familiar with the property, so might be a family member. That yeah, would make I'm sense. not sure. I, I hadn't heard any stories, yeah. like I said, of anybody dying on the property that was young. So There must have been a piano in this house at some time, too, because there are reports of people hearing the tinkling of piano keys occasionally as well. Now, I'm thinking there's not a piano in there anymore, so if they're still hearing the tinkling of piano keys, it's disembodied in some way. Right. I know uh, at least rumors, but I know that everybody says that uh, Mr. Cohn did like to play piano and they really enjoyed music. So Very interesting. Besides the fact that he was grave robbed and his corpse was <laughs> disturbed, this is a man who built his dream home and only got to live in it for seven years. And I don't know how long it took to build, so he may not have gotten to live in it for all those seven years either. So I could see why he would be pretty attached to it and I can't remember. I think Bertha had lived there for almost 30 years after his death. I I can't remember exactly how long she was there, but she would be there. And if he would still want to be near her, it would explain that. So I could see why he would want to be attached to the the property in that way. Absolutely. And we don't know what was on the property before they built on it either. We could have other things that were there before. I'm sure there's an Indian burial ground. There always is. (laughs) Hey, well, I mean... To be honest, Blowing Rock is named after a Native American legend in the hills of North Carolina. That's another haunted spot is the actual Blowing Rock, but that's another show. <laughs> How far is that away from here? Because I know that it's, they basically say the address of this is in Blowing Rock. It is. Uh, the Blowing Rock itself is an actual rock. It juts out from the side of the mountain. And it's probably about 10 minutes away. The story is an Indian chief sentenced his daughter's lover to death. And uh, the daughter prayed to the wind gods. And when he was pushed off the rock, he was blown back up and into his lover's arms. And the chief apologizes and all that. But there's been some interesting stuff that's gone on around there ever since then. Um, So that's only 10 minutes down the road. Ah, okay. So we do have some kind of other spiritual connections there then to the land. Interesting. Denise, there is uh, some ghost hunters that I believe are out of Boone, North Carolina, that actually had some information. Sure, I will read. Um, So this is a quote. The gentleman who quoted it is named Mike. And so, quote, while at ASU in the 90s, I went there one day while it was open. 
I was in a photography class and wanted to photograph the house. I took a friend with me. She always claimed to speak to ghosts. She had never been to the house or heard of it. First thing she said before walking in there was, quote, there's something upstairs, end quote. I asked her what. She said a little girl. Then she said there was another and an older woman. Then she said, let's go, and was out the door. She said the third thing scared her, end quote. Weird. Because at first when I was reading this, I'm like, well, maybe she was seeing both Moses and Bertha and then this little girl. Here we have another sighting of her. But when she said the third thing scared her, I was like, what is that? Oh, I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> no, especially if you're talking about somebody who speaks to ghosts. She's kind of used to talking to dead people, and something scared her enough that she wanted to get the heck out of there. I think I would have been following her right the heck out of there on her heels. Let me just say, uh, you know, we think of ghosts, pottery. It's usually a romantic movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it would be that way in this house if you're alone with whatever that third thing is. <laughs> it wasn't working. <laughs> if, it, if it starts putting its hands on top of my hands when I'm forming that pot, I am out of there. I was going to say, if I walk in the house and that piano is playing Unchained Melody, I mean... <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The Moses Cone Manor is a magnificent structure. Does it hold more than just the memories of the couple who once lived there? Are Bertha and Moses still living in their home in the afterlife? Is something else in residence at the home? Are these weird activities just figments of overactive imaginations? Is Moses Cone Manor haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, it sounds like there's some kind of unexplained activity going on there. So, it's a possibility. Yes, it is. And we definitely are going to be heading up towards North Carolina. We already told Stephen we're going to meet up with them for coffee or something, or maybe. Do you know if they do ghost tours in the area where you're at? In Charlotte? Oh, I'm sure uh, they do. Oh, they've got to. There's a, It's a pretty old city as well. So. Yeah, I'm sure there's got to be some kind of ghost tour there. So maybe we'll hook up for something like that. And coffee, Ooh. because Starbucks has a North Carolina cup. Yeah, did he say Charlotte has its own cup? See, oh, Charlotte has its own Starbucks cup. Of where, where have you been? It does. Awesome! Yay! <laughs> yes, Denise decided on our Boston trip that she's now collecting these things. So we're gonna have. I'm all a these... collector of amazing artifacts. Yeah, whatever. We're gonna have something else cluttering the house. <laughs> My clutter is pretty. <laughs> Well, Stephen, we want to thank you for joining us for this show. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been it's been great fun. You know, we like doing this with our listeners because, you know, we can get people on here who've written haunted history books and are trying to, you know, pawn a book off on people and stuff. But everybody does that. But we've really enjoyed, you know, Freya started the whole thing, but we've really enjoyed getting the one-on-one with uh, our listeners. We want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. This has been Stephen. You guys, take care now. Bye-bye. And the executive producers for today's podcast are Levi Drescher, Rachel Cooper, and Dan Foytek. Thank you for bringing us the show. Absolutely. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.